Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello sports fans and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. Today we're going to do part three of the greatest offensive players in NFL history. Joining me are my friends Arnie Chapman and Dave DePaula. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. Well, we're getting off the, the list here. Let's get back to that list. Okay, at guard, they have they only have four guards picked on the 2010 but they only, list. The other list only had four. Yeah. They have uh, John Hanna, Jim Parker. Those two guys are going to make every list. Gene Upshaw. And now they have uh, Larry Allen, who you were talking about earlier. Uh, he was tremendous, Larry Allen. The first, yeah. the first memory I have of Larry Allen was the 94 championship game <clears throat> against right. the 49ers that the Cowboys lost. Uh-huh. Larry Allen got was playing in that game with a bum leg. And um, I just watched a video. This young kid, he was really on the ball, this guy. You should have seen all the homework he did. He did a vi- video about, um, about uh, what's his name, what we were talking about earlier. It was really nasty. And he was saying if he played, that was the year he got injured in the car accident, Eric Williams. And he was saying if Eric Williams played in that game, there was a very good chance the Cowboys would have won. Emmett Smith had a bad hamstring. He never finished the game. If you remember that game, Blair Thomas finished the game at running back. But Larry Allen had a bum leg. I don't know why they didn't replace him because they had a guy on the bench, Ron Stone, who they ended up trading to the Giants, who was actually a pretty decent offensive lineman. They could have put him in. Aikman was under duress that whole game. And then that crazy play. But Larry Allen turned out to be there was a clip of Parcells when he was coaching the Cowboys. You could look it up. And he's actually going at Larry Allen in practice. And he's saying, no, this guy doesn't want to practice hard. And uh, there's a clip of Parcells saying, you know, oh, I'm going to be, you're going to be tired of me, boy. He was saying, when I get done, you know, you're going to be, you've, you're going to have enough of me. But And then he takes him aside and he talks to him. And you can hear it all. It's all on Mike, and he and he's saying, you know, what are you, what are you getting upset for? You know, you gotta, you know, you gotta. Sometimes you're gonna get beat. Everybody gets beat, even the best ever. 
He's, and that's, he goes back in there. But he was saying that there was, he was, Larry Allen was going through something there that, you know, and Parcells kind of, you know, it was a, it's a great clip. It's on one of these cowboy features about Bill Parcells. Um, there's, I'll send it to you, Mark. I'll find it. I, I um, remember seeing some of that. I think yeah. it's called Bill Parcells' Last Ride, but he's talking right. about Larry Allen. And right. even as great as he was, he had that downtime there. Yeah. And he was pushing him. He was pushing him in practice. Yep. Yep. Yes, he was. So they got, uh, they only have three centers. Same three guys, Jim Otto. Imagine that. Yep. In fact, uh, they did this number one to 100, right? The NFL Network. They don't have a center listed until number 63. They've got 62 <laughs> players. <laughs> They've got 62 players picked, and none of them are a center. There's no center. Finally, at number 63, they picked Jim Otto, and then they picked uh, the other two, Mike Webster and Mel Hine. So I, they didn't think too highly of centers, I guess. Tight end, they have John Mackey. They have uh, Tony Tony Gonzalez, they have Mike Ditka, Kellen Winslow, and they have Ozzie Newsom. Uh, so, yeah, Newsom was great. Yep. We haven't talked about him, but he really was. He played for a long time, too, right? And, yes. Uh, he was very good with the Browns. That the Browns had a really good team, I think, in 81, 82, when Sam Rotigliano was there coaching. And they had uh, Brian Seip at quarterback. And Ozzie Newsom was their tight end. And, you know, he's still involved in football. He's What is he, with the Ravens, Arnie? I don't know if he retired from there, but, yeah, he was as of really recently. I can look that up. Well, the Ravens were the Browns, right? The Ravens were the Browns, the original Browns. Yep. Yeah, I think he still is the uh, the front office for him there. I mean, he was the architect of the Ravens when they first started, I think, too. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. All right. I, all right. I, I guess I should take that back. Maybe he, he was part of it, but then it says that he became the NFL's first African-American general manager in 2002. There you go. Yeah, he played, look, 78 to 90, okay? 662 receptions for 7,980 yards. And he had uh, three Pro Bowls and just one first-team All-Pro, but he was very, very, very good. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. You know? I mean, so I could see that being in that list for, you know, uh, Dave Casper's not on that 2010 list, though. And yet, what's his name? Has him your uh, your buddy there, uh, Mark Hasm? Is, is, is you know, it's it's amazing, isn't it? How that works, you know. But the guy that Arnie must have seen here at tight end is uh, Gonzalez. He was Chiefs. very good. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he basically changed what the perception of a tight end could be in the league. Right. He put up some big yeah, numbers, Yeah, he was right? very, very good. Pro probably similar to how when Dicka came out, 
like totally changed what it, what it meant to be a tight end. This guy took it to you know another level. I mean, I know there were like generation type of players that made a change, but yeah, he was the first one where it was really like, okay, this is a former basketball player, and he's a receiver essentially. We can turn him into that. But the little the little that I've seen of NFL in recent years, I would take Gonzalez over. Gronkowski. What do you think, Gronkowski? See, the one thing about Gronkowski, though, is he would be more of your your all-around tight end compared to a Gonzalez. Gonzalez was more receptions. Gronkowski, he was in-line blocker as well. Well, we got the final... Of recent years, Mark, Uh you'd have to say that the top three would probably be Gonzalez and Gronkowski... And you could probably throw uh, Jason Witten in there. He was that good. Right. You know, Witten was great. But then let me talk about Jim Otto for a second. Bill Berge was saying that Jim Otto had the greatest, they called it a one-inch or a one-foot punch. He had the greatest recoil. He said he could come out and block you with more force than anybody in a tight area. Like he came from, from here and then out. He said it would, the impact was tremendous within like a foot distance. You know, wow. that's what he used to. We were talking about Bill Berge. He was pretty good Bill with the Berge. Eagles. Remember him? Bill Berge was very good. Started yeah. with the Bengals, right? Yeah, he was talking about Jim Otto. Was, yeah. That's that's quite a compliment. He said that Matt, he, he, <clears throat> he was playing a game against the Raiders, and, and, and Madden was yelling about something, and Berge says, hey. oh, he. He's too slow, Coach. He was talking about Jim Otto. And right. so then another time we played him, like a year later, he goes, he came up and he just blind. He said, and he let me. He goes, and I was pretty much out, out you know, I was awake. He goes, and Madden came over. He, he was on the field and he said, how's, how's Jim Otto now? He says, oh, pretty good, he says. <laughs> That's a good story. I love those stories. Well, we got the final list here. The 2019 100th anniversary list. They got, uh, we'll start with the offensive line. They got Otto, you know, these three guys at center are on every list, right? Jim Otto, Mike Webster, Mel Hine. Mel Hine, yep. Then they got, uh, they got Dermani Dawson. I had a hard time. You know, pick up my own team. I couldn't decide between, and these were both, both of these centers were for the Dolphins. <clears throat> I couldn't decide between Jim Langer or Dwight Stevenson. And I picked Langer because, only because he had the longer career than Stevenson, but I don't know. I think, uh, I think Paul Zimmerman might have changed my mind. And you know who else? They interviewed Howie Long. They asked him who was the who was the best offensive lineman. And he said, without hesitation, he said, Dwight Stevenson. That really? From Howie Long, yep. You have any any of more of those lists, Dave? Where players well, talk the thing about- my my gripe with the not a gripe, but the 2019, this latest list, the 2019 list, here's my thing. Here's my thing with this. They had to put in, they added in special teams. Yeah, you're right So they about have that. Stenerud and Vinatieri. Six, too many. 
Ray Guy and Leckler, the punters, Devin Hester and Billy White, Sus Johnson. So those six guys, then they brought in some of these old timers that we talked about before, Dutch Clark, Carl Hubbard, yeah. Fortman, Bill Hewitt. And I'm not saying leave the guys off or, I'm, you know, I didn't see him play, but to me, to see, this doesn't make sense to me. The guys that got taken off the list from 2010, you're going to tell me Sean Leckler is going to go on this list as one of the 100 greatest players. But you're going to take off Tarkington, Young, <laughs> Aikman, Dorsett. Okay? I mean, it's insane kind of to me, but it is what it is. That's how the list works. I think, so they didn't have those guys in 2010. I think you so they, a, they had to make room for them. I think you make a really good point there. I think what they should have done is picked 100. They should have picked 100 players and then added, you know, okay, and now – Here's the special teams guys. So that way they didn't have to take off, to, you know, the big name players, like you said. <clears throat> I think that's a good point. Yes. Pick too many, you know, like you said, six special team. They should have just picked 100 and then said, okay, here's the special team guys as an add-on. Here's an interesting one, uh, Mark, from the offensive line. In 2010, Dwight Stevenson isn't there. But in 2019, he is. Uh-huh. They added him in. Yep. yep. Yeah, I didn't have him on my list. I had Jim Langer instead. But then, you know, after I started hearing some of the other players talk, I heard what uh, Howie Long had to say. He said he was the best offensive lineman he ever faced. Yeah, well, him and uh, this Randall McDaniel got added in in 2020. 19 and I looked him up. He had a lot of, you know, you, you watch these guys play and there's, I think what happens today is there's so much stuff with football. I mean, I don't know if this makes sense to any, either of you guys, but he, anyway, get, getting back to this guy, 12 Pro Bowls, seven time all pro first team. That's, that's Randall McDaniel. But my point is there's so much information about football now with, right. with, with uh, fantasy football and crazy, uh, you're watching highlights all night long. You can go yeah. to five in the morning. They just keep replaying stuff. I'm not kidding. And so back then when a guy really stood out, like in other words, it's kind of stuck out on your mind more because there was less. Right. And then when a guy was like, you know, but Randall McDaniel, as great as he was, and I, I was watching football closely all those years that he played, it just never caught my eye for some reason because you're inundated with all this other stuff. Right. You know what I mean? And you kind of just don't. Pick up on it, I think. You know, I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys, but... No, that's a good point. And then you take a guy like... Uh, and the guards, they have Dan Fortman, who played in the 1930s and 1940s. And, uh, you know, I mean, how, mu <laughs> how much footage is there of Dan Fortman? You know, you can't go really well, back... I, you know, I, I... No, I... I I looked him up earlier before we came on, and he only played from 1936 to 1943. Yeah, that's so the he problem. played um, only eight four, years. Five, six, eight years. Yeah, I mean he yeah. was. I'm going to be honest with you. They had an all pro <clears throat> team back then. Right. Six of those eight years, he was all pro. So maybe that's what they're going by. Yeah, uh, must be because uh, he was a guard, Mark. He was right. He, he was a guard at six foot. 210 pounds, he was a guard. 
Yeah, I could believe it. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they got the, the, these two seem to be, uh, on every list. They're always the top two. John Hanna, Jim Parker. <clears throat> they got Gene Upshaw. They've got, uh, Larry Allen, Randall McDaniel. They got Bruce Matthews, the guy they didn't have on this list. And I think it's a glaring omission is Larry Little. They do not have Larry Little on this list. <clears throat> I would take Larry Little as one of my top guards. You know, if you look at those, those, yeah. you look at those films, look at some of those Super Bowl teams the Dolphins had and watch, watch Larry Zonka running the ball. Who's, who's the guy that's out in front of him? Every time. Yes. As the pulling guard, Larry Little. I thought Larry Little was tremendous. He wasn't one of the guys going to the XFL, was he, Mark, or no? Oh, the WFL, you mean, right? I'm sorry. The Yes, yeah. I'm sorry. No, he didn't. Yep. No, he didn't go. No, he wasn't one. No. I thought he was tremendous. You know, um... They don't have. They didn't have Forrest Gregg in there either. But um, who, did? who didn't have Forrest Gregg? Is, is Gregg in there in twenty nineteen? Is he yeah. on the list? Yep, he's on the list. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was going to touch on um, what's his name there? One of the guards that they uh, oh, that we were talking about. Um, I lost my train of thought, but uh, like you said, Mark, how much footage is there on the? But you know. I guess these guys, whoever made the list, I'd like to know who made the 2019 list, like who was um, involved in all that. I think there was coaches. I think Bill Belichick, he hosts, he's on all the shows. When they do that 2019 list, Yeah, Belichick is one of the main guys, I think. Yeah, he, he seems to know his football history, but, uh, Belichick. He's a historian, yes, you're yeah. right about that. Yeah. Oh, John Hanna is what I wanted to talk about. I, I watched some clips on him. And if you look at this, this guy was like a tank. If you watch anything on John Hanna, look it up. His legs are, he was getting all, his, they were absolutely massive. Massive, his thighs. He was coming around the corner. He was leveling people, just running them over like a, like a, like a, like a, like a uh, you know, like a locomotive. It was unbelievable. He's on all the lists. He's, he's one of the best ever. They had him on the cover of Sports Illustrated once. The greatest lineman of all time. Do you remember that, Mark? Yeah, I have that Sports Illustrated. Um, yep. He, he was a shot putter. And, and oh, was he? Yep. And I think he continued. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he was a shot putter. So that might explain, you know, what you were saying with his, his uh, legs were very big and strong. Yep. Yep. There you go. Shot putter. Um, so at tackle, they have uh, Forrest Gregg, Anthony Munoz, Roosevelt Brown is a guy you don't really hear yes. enough about for the Giants. Uh, Art Shell. They got Jonathan Ogden. And a new, uh, new addition, they have Walter Jones. From the yes, Seahawks. we talked about him. Uh, yeah. Yep, Walter Jones. 
But I think uh, Roosevelt Brown is a guy that doesn't get mentioned enough for the Giants. Who's that, uh, Mark? I think yeah. the guy that doesn't get mentioned enough, Roosevelt Brown. He was on one of the other lists, though, that we mentioned, yeah. I think. Yeah. You just don't really hear enough about – he is. He does make the list, but they don't really talk about him that much. But then again, you know, there you go again. That's the – he played – I guess uh, he played into the 60s, but I think the majority of his, his peak years were in the 1950s. And, you know, like uh, Arnie was saying, you didn't really uh, – they didn't talk a lot about – Offensive lineman in the 1950s. No. You know, Mike Ditka talked about that. Uh -huh. He said, you know, when I played, we were an extension of the offensive line. Right. That's what he said. Titan was an extension of the offensive line. And, like, you know, that's why, like Arnie said earlier, he kind of changed things with the pass catching. Right. You know? Yep. And speaking of tight ends, they got – they have John Mackey. They have Mike Ditka. They have Gronkowski. They have Winslow. They have Tony Gonzalez. The guy they don't, the guy that doesn't seem to make these lists is Jackie Smith. Unbelievable. I, I gotta have, I gotta have Jackie Smith. You know, if I'm picking tight ends, I gotta have Jackie Smith in my top five without a doubt. I I, I got a list here, Mark. From, yep. from Jack Ham. Uh -huh. Jack Ham selected his best tight ends. He's got one of Arnie's guys on there at number ten. He's got or number nine. He's got Charlie Sanders on there from the Lions. But his top guy, believe it or not, you're not gonna believe this. This is Jack Ham now, and I know he played against this guy at least once a year. He's got Russ Francis up there. Over, he's got him ahead of Kev, Kellen Winslow. Wow. He had and, some and then big he's got years. Charlie Young, uh, uh, Charlie Young, Ozzie Newsom, and Dave Casper to uh -huh. round out his top five. And then he's got Mackey Ditka. You're not going to believe this one. At number eight, he's got Jay Novacek. Really? This is Jack Ham. Wow. Charlie Sanders, and then at number 10, Bob Trumpy. Remember Bob Trumpy became yeah. an announcer? Yeah. He yeah, played he for the Bengals, yeah. Yeah, he was a very good tight yep. end. But, that was uh, his list. Again, no Jackie Smith. Imagine that? No Jackie no, no, Smith. No, says again, <laughs> nothing. Wow, that's nope. unbelievable. I don't understand. He's that. one of your favorites, Mark. Yes, Jackie Smith was tremendous. And I know he, he, he always killed Dallas. When he was with the Cardinals, always had a big game against yes. Dallas. You know they show that they show that one clip all the time where he carried half the team on yes. his back. <laughs> he was tremendous. I yep. think you know when he after he caught the ball, he was like a locomotive. They couldn't tackle him. He was knocking yeah. people all over. <clears throat> they couldn't. I'm looking. Tackle at, him. I'm looking at him here now, Mark. Uh he was ahead of his time. He. He had a, he had a lot of accolades here. Five Pro Bowls. He had a four hundred and I mean, this was when they weren't passing the ball a lot. The guy played from nineteen sixty three to nineteen seventy eight. Fifteen big ones. Yep. You know. Yeah. Unfortunately, he was best remembered for that catch that he didn't make in the Super Bowl. But yeah, that's you a know, shame. 
he was one of these real humble guys that, that I met him at the Hall of Fame when he got in because he got in with Randy White. They got in the same year. I went to that thing and I met him at the hotel and he was just one of these really, you know, low key guys, you know, uh, just, you know, you would never even probably never even talked about, you know, football all that much, but you could tell when during his interviews, he just seems like a really, really down to earth guy. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I met him too. Uh, I got a picture of him with my son and, uh, I had the same feeling, you know, just, uh, Seemed very humble, low-key, you know. Like uh, you wouldn't even know that he played in the NFL. He had almost 8,000 yards receiving. I mean, that was big for that time. Oh, yeah. And he he had no weaknesses. He could block and he could run. He could certainly run. When he, once he caught the ball, that, you know, those, those uh, defensive backs, they would, uh, you know, accidentally trip, you know, like when Earl Campbell was coming at him. <laughs> That's how they oh were boy. with Jackie. Oh, oh I tripped. Because <laughs> they didn't want to get in his way. He would have just pancaked them. He ran them right over. You know, I, I, Randy White gave the speech that day. Like I said, they both got in the Hall of Fame. And you could tell it wasn't in his notes. And Randy White said, you know, Jackie Smith, you know, it was an honor playing with you that year. He, you know, because he knew he was getting a lot of flack from the for the dropped pass and everything. But he actually threw that in there. It was you could tell it was off the cuff too. You know, he's he he's he, it was really nice of him to say it. But I'm looking at his I'm looking at his stats. We're talking about we're talking about 1964 here now to 19. He had a run from 64 to 69, 47, 41, 45, 56. 49, 43 receptions. That was kind of almost unheard of back then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was tremendous. Wide receiver. Wide receiver, they got Jerry Rice, Lance Allworth, Don Hudson, Steve Largent, Raymond Berry, Paul Warfield, Marvin Harrison, uh, yeah, they got Elroy Hirsch, Crazy Legs. They got uh, you know who they don't have. On? Well, they got Randy Moss on here. I I I can't believe they don't have Charlie Taylor on here. Charlie yeah. Taylor from the Redskins. I think I take not in him. There. Yeah, I think I'd have to take him. Uh. Well, you, you might take me over Randy Moss, Mark. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I probably would. <laughs> I would um, definitely take Charlie Taylor over over Randy Moss. <laughs> well, Char- I got Charlie Taylor here at number four. Receivers I admire the most by Lance Allworth. He's got Charlie Taylor at number four. You're not going to believe it. He threw Mike Ditka in there. He's, I guess he's considering any type of guy that catches the ball. He's got him in there at number five. He's got Rice at number one. I hate to break the news to you. He's got Moss at number two. This is Lance Allworth now. Uh-huh. And he's got Don Hudson at number three. And he's got Elroy Hirsch, who was really a running back, kind of. Wasn't he? No, was he, flanker, he was a receiver. I guess they called him Flanker yeah. back then. Yeah. He's got Lynn Swan, Paul Warfield, and Kellen Winslow to round out his list. That's Lance Allworth now. Uh-huh. You know? 
Yeah. Um. He killed Charlie you Taylor. Can go back killed, and forth. Remember Charlie Killer Charlie Taylor killed Dallas in that uh, the nineteen seventy two NFC. They had Charlie Waters playing cornerback. They had Charlie Waters oh. covering uh, Charlie Taylor. <clears throat> he killed he killed uh, Charlie Waters in that game. I think he got hurt in that game I too, I right? I remember it well. It was like twenty six to three or something. <clears throat> it was ten to three. Going into the fourth quarter. In the beginning, 10, yes. Ten to three. And then they just <laughs> Right. Up. Yeah. Charlie Taylor killed him. <laughs> now here's a guy he, I want to ask Arnie about because I don't know a lot about him because I haven't really watched. Uh Larry Fitzgerald. Did you see him, Arnie? Oh. Oh yeah, he he was definitely a receiver in my generation that just it didn't matter if he was covered or not. The guy's hands were like glue. And he was with the Cardinals? Yeah, his entire was great, career Mark. was with the Cardinals. Yeah. So he 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 was known for uh not dropping passes, right? Uh, I mean, the, his hands were just so strong it didn't matter where he was at and he sure he had like any other receiver, he had the route tree, he was able to get open and everything. But I just what I remember is the strong hands catching it in traffic, willing to go over the middle and all that other kind of thing. It wasn't necessarily the the deep passes. He was more of a right. across the field kind of a guy. Uh-huh. Well, he he made the list. Mark. Yep. Mark, I'm telling you, he was tremendous. Seventeen years he played, Mark, I think. Uh let me just look it up. Hang on. Uh 2004 to 2020, Fitzgerald. Uh-huh. And he was, I remember him because I had him on some of my, couple of my fantasy teams over the years. Uh, he was uh, only first team all pro once, but don't forget, there's a lot of competition there, but 11 pro bowls and just all kinds of receiving yardage. I mean, he's, his, his numbers are really, I mean, he, you know, and a very nice guy, too, off the field, like a real top-notch, a real, uh, you know, a real a real gentleman. 17,000, almost 17,500 receiving yards. Unbelievable. 1,432 receptions. Uh, he must he, he, he's, he must have surpassed Terrell Owens in some of these categories, I would think. Uh, yeah, I'd have to look it up, played, but I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, 263 games played. You know, just uh, he was he was great every year. Just you know, just based on just fantasy football, Mark, which you're, every year you have a draft, and you know, you'd, you'd go. Somebody would always draft Larry Fitzgerald, like the last five years of his career, and some guy would make a comment. Always, oh, he's he's on the geriatric team, and this guy, but every year he'd be great. Every year he contributed. It was unbelievable. You know, they make you eat your words. You know, so he was he was great. Yeah. Plus, he, plus he was willing, even though he was a receiver known for his catches, he actually was willing to get in there and block, kind of like the old school type receiver too. Yeah. Going back, Mark, to Charlie Taylor. Before you go, I found a list here from Willie Brown, the toughest receivers to cover. Okay, and he had number one, Lance Allworth, Charlie Taylor at number two, 
Rice, Warfield, and Joyner. That was his top five. Willie Brown, toughest receivers to cover. And he probably hardly ever played against Charlie Taylor because he was AFL. Right? That's right. Willie Brown exactly. played the AFL. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. How yeah. about that? Yeah, I remember that game, 1972 championship game. He killed the Cowboys. Uh, quarterbacks. Quarterbacks. They got uh, what I like about the 2019 list is they didn't go overboard with the running backs and quarterbacks. They picked 10 quarterbacks. They got uh, Johnny United's Joe Montana. They got Sammy Baugh. They got Tom Brady, uh, Dan Marino, Peyton Manning. They got Staubach, Otto Graham, John Elway. They got Dave's favorite quarterback, Brett Favre. The guy they don't have, <laughs> guy they don't have on here. I know you want to talk about Brett Favre. The guy they don't have on here that I gotta put in is Bart Starr. I I can't see how you could keep him off the list. Other than well, I got two lists. I got two lists here, Mark. The smartest quarterbacks is selected by of all people, George Blanda. Uh-huh. And he's got Bart Starr at number two behind Otto Graham. He's got Montana at three. And of all people at number four, he's got Bradshaw, who they said wasn't too bright. Imagine, remember they used to say that? Right. And Unitas at number five. That's that's George Blanda. He also had Van Brocklin, Bobby Lane, Elway, Staubach, and Bob Waterfield on there. That was George Blanda for smarts. Right. For smartest. But the toughest quarterbacks to defend? Yeah. That's just a list I got here by Sam Hoff. He's also got Bart Starr on there, number seven. So yeah. he's, he's on all these players' lists. I got a couple more, but Starr's at number seven for toughest quarterbacks to defend by Sam Huff. And the right. number one he's got is, is, is Donnie Unitas. And uh-huh. number two on that list was Sonny Jurgensen, who we talked about. I talked about as being a great thrower. Right. Yep. So that's, that's Sam Huff. Right. See, the, the, we talked about it before. The quarterback position, there's so many facets to it um, that it's, it's hard to pick. But, you know, those the top, ones I always go with, I'll, I'll st- I still stick with my list of all time, the top five or six I told you about before. But um, there's just different things to – there's different um, facets of the game to, you know, don't forget, a lot of these guys call their own plays – and that's then right. later on, the coaches were calling the plays for him. So that's a that's a big thing right there, you know. But that's where the smarts come in. Right. Where you say, the guys, today, they're not even calling their own plays. They'd probably be lost, some of these guys, <laughs> if they had to call their own plays and figure out. You know, really, I'm not kidding. Yeah. It's the greatest athletes that they are, some of these guys. Something like all of a sudden now, he's been thrust into the limelight. Arnie will know about this. The kid from the Chicago Bears. He couldn't get out of his own way five weeks ago. Now all of a sudden, they're talking about him like he's all these quarterbacks rolled up into one. Once they force this guy to stop running, which they eventually will, he's just not that good of a passer. I'm sorry, he's not. You know? 
Uh, the guy that doesn't get mentioned uh, enough, in my opinion, is Sammy Ball. <laughs> Sammy Ball. No, was, he's not. Know, he's not on any of the lists, Mark. That's shocking. That's shocking. Yep. Uh, he's on the night. He's, he's on the um, 2019 list. He's on the 75th all-time team. Sammy Ball, they did it. They did it. I'll never forget it. They did it. You look up that seventy-five all-time team. There's a whole video of it, and they're talking about Sammy Ball. The man's cursing up a storm. It's phenomenal, okay? And he's and he's he's talking about when you go out there, you know, you got to be the best. And he's swearing, and, and, and he's talking. It shows a picture of him throwing a ball through a tire, and it shows him getting off a plane. He was another guy that had a lot of uh, star power. Where he was a big draw, and it shows him getting off of a plane, and um, he, he's talking about, you know, like if you don't have a lot of confidence, you know, you're not going to be able to. He was just, I can listen to his interviews all day long. It's tremendous. It's almost, it's almost like listening to Trump. It's crazy some of the stuff he's talking about, but it's it's great. You know, almost at the same all in the same time. And he um, was a great uh, punter. Let too, me just right? tell you, punter. He was a yes. great punter. Yep, and he he was he he was on the he was on the receiving end of that. Was he in that game seventy three to nothing? Was yes. he playing for the Redskins that day? Yes, or no? and they asked him. That's unbelievable. The the first uh, <laughs> Washington's first drive of the game, they almost they were almost took the lead. Uh, they had the ball first. They drove down the field, and. Uh, they almost scored a touchdown, which would have put them in the lead, 7 nothing. But uh, I think there was an interception. They asked Sammy Baugh, would the game have been different? Would the outcome of the game have been different if you had scored that first touchdown and took the lead, 7 nothing? He said, right. yes, yes. The outcome would have been different. It would have been 73-7. to <laughs> Look, I I stumbled upon your boy Bart Starr again. He's in the toughest, best quarterbacks of the era by Forrest Gregg. Of course, he played with him, but he doesn't have him first. He's got him second. Best quarterbacks of my era, Forrest Gregg. Number one, Johnny Unitas. Okay. With Y.A. Tittle coming in at number three. That's a guy we, we don't talk about. He's on yeah. a lot of these lists in this book. Wow. And Otto Graham at four. Roger Staubach at number five. Uh-huh. Think about Staubach. He really didn't start playing until he was almost 30. Yeah. He, he, he did his stint in the Navy. I think he came out at like 26 or 27. 27. He was on the bench for a couple of years. He was rookie at yes. 27. He didn't really start until he was 30 years old almost. Yeah. It's phenomenal, really. People forget about that. The guy missed probably the best five years of his career easily. Then he missed another year. You know, that's how... After, after he was finally named the starter, the following season, he With missed... With a separated shoulder. He, yep, he separated his shoulder. So he missed... He was tremendous. He, he missed a lot of... You, you know, know? He missed, like you said, he missed a good five, five six years. Could have been added on to his career. Well, we got. Uh, he was the most success. He was the most successful player off the field. Well, based on, uh, I guess they maybe they made based on money wise, but he sold that 
uh, real estate company for almost seven hundred million dollars that he owned, Staubach wow. Realty. Now he's the he works for the company that he sold it to. Maybe not now, but he was working for them. Uh huh. And Charlie Waters said he called him up. Uh, Charlie Waters said his son passed away at the age of eighteen. Never got down to the bottom of it. What he died for? Charlie Waters, uh, Arnie played with the Cowboys. He was a safety. He was very good. Yeah. He wasn't a Hall of Famer, but he was very, very good. He was just under that. But he was coaching up at the University of Oregon, and his son passed away. In his sleep, And Stolbeck right? said, you can yeah. come work for me. Yeah. He said, I'll give you an office and everything. He said, you, you don't even have to come in for work. He gave him a salary and everything. Unbelievable. Yeah. His son, uh, his son died in his sleep. Cody. Cody yep. Waters. Yeah, what a shame. Yep. And what a tragedy. Well, yep. and that's we, what he said. Staubach, he, he, he credited Staubach. He said he almost saved my life. Hollywood Henderson said the same thing. Yeah. You watch that video of, of go on and watch the uh, one with Roger Staubach. What's this one the NFL made where they have the players and they talk, talk about them for an hour? I can't think of what they're called. Um, right. Not America's Game. Those are the ones about the Super Bowl. But there's another series. Uh -huh. They talk about individual players. Right. And he said, uh, I was in jail. You know, I was in, uh, and he called me up. Yeah. And he said to me, you know, Thomas, you were a good guy, he says, before the drugs, you know, got to you. He says, but you, and he says, and at that time, I didn't know I was a good guy. Yeah. He said, that, imagine that. He said, at that time, I didn't know I was a good guy, he says. Yeah. And he says he saved my life, Roger Staubach. Thomas Henderson talks about it. Imagine that. And same thing with Bob Hayes, Unbelievable. right? Same thing yes. with Bob Hayes. Yep. Yep. He came to uh, Drew Bob Pearson Hayes. said we didn't we didn't we we didn't know how many guys that he did it to because he never talked about it, Staubach. He never talked about it. But um he was tremendous. Sawback, tremendous. He was a tremendous leader. You know, it wasn't just about games and this. He didn't have great Super Bowls, Mark. You know, he didn't. His stats weren't there, but he was just. There was a lot of. There was a lot of what do they call uh, uh, other tangibles, intangible things that you couldn't measure. You know, he was just great. Absolutely tremendous. Well, we got all we got left is uh, running backs. So they got they got Walter Payton, Jim Brown, Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders, Eric Dickerson. They got Gail Sayers, Steve Van Buren, Earl Campbell, Bronco Nagurski, Motley, Marion Motley. Uh, they got two guys here that I would take out. Lenny Moore was tremendous, uh, very versatile, but he never had a 1,000-yard season. I think they would take I mean, he's certainly a Hall of Fame worthy. I met him at the Hall of Fame. Uh, got a picture of him. With my, yep, Lenny Moore. Probably one of the nicest guys I met at the Hall of Fame. Extremely nice guy. I got a real good picture of him with my son. Uh, there's two guys, and they got O.J. Simpson on this list. I got to disqualify <laughs> him. I have to disqualify him. There's two guys. Uh, 
I, I don't know if I want to talk about O.J. Simpson. You know, he was one of my favorite players when he was playing. He was one of my favorite players. Yeah. But you know who, you know who pegged, you know who, uh, pegged him? Uh, Jim Brown said all that during his career when he played the real humble guy and he never spiked the ball or anything. He said it was an all, that was all an act. Jim Brown said that was all an act. That he, he, that that. Yep. There's two guys that aren't on this list that I think you would agree with me, Dave. Uh, I think they have to be on this list. Tony Dorsett and Franco Harris are not on this list. Yeah, I mean, number well, look, we didn't talk about Bronco Nagurski yet. He wasn't on the other lists, you know, but he's on that list. Yep, he is. And... They, I saw a clip on him r- recently, and, you know, there was a movie made. Um, Anthony Hopkins was in it. Uh, Hearts of Atlantis, it was called. And it was about a guy that could see into the future, and he befriends this young boy, and he uh-huh. sees that the mother's very troubled and all this. It's a very good movie. And he tells the kid a story about Bronco Nagurski right. in the movie, and it's actually a true story where he comes out of retirement, Nagurski hasn't played in six years. That's right. Plays the offensive line for the whole season, but towards the end of the year, they need him to, to run the ball. So he, they put him in a running back in two drives. And he took him to the he took him to the playoff game or the championship game. And he says, and it was the way Anthony Hopkins tells the story to the young kid. And it's almost as if the kid... Probably today a kid wouldn't even listen to it. They got no attention span. But this kid's listening to it like he's, you know, could see it. Like he could see it in front of his own eyes. And he's saying, and they gave it to Nagurski and he ran. And they kept giving it to him. And it's it, it, it's a great scene in that movie, Hearts of Atlantis. And they just, they talk about it on the Bronco Nagurski feature and the NFL's greatest players in, 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 in the 75th all-time team. And the guy... They couldn't stop him. And, and, okay, it's one thing to come in and play the offensive line because he was a pretty good-sized guy. He was very physical. But to come in and play running back after not playing for six years, unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Unreal. To, to be able to play at all after not playing for six years is amazing. I agree with you. To play running back after not playing for six years, it's a, it's astonishing. But I, guess, um, I mean, I guess you can make a case for Tony Dorsett, Mark. I, I mean, think Tony Dorsett he was quite a player. I mean, he, when he retired, he was. When he retired, I think he was, was number three. I think it was number three on the all-time list. And he's still in yeah. the top. I think he's still in the top. I think he's still in the top ten. And he hasn't played in what thirty? That was a co- <laughs> He was he was a little he was a little miffed when they brought Herschel Walker in. Um, they talked about it in '86. He was at a car he was at a car lot about five years ago. Tony Dorsett doing a signing in Danbury, Connecticut. So I drove over there and I said to him, "They called it the the dream backfield." And he was sitting down signing cards and he looked up at me and he goes. Yeah, he goes, the dream backfield. Whose dream was that? He goes, not mine. And he just really, he, you know, he ended up going to the Broncos. It was kind of a sin 
at the end of the, you know, it was almost like Walter Payton going to another team. It was yeah. like, you know, and then, you know, back then it was not as common as right. it is today where guys just go to other teams, but he was, he was really great. I mean, he was a very undersized guy and he was very, he could run in between the tackles. He was tougher than you think. And I think like Landry kind of put him on a pitch count through his career. He, did. like he, he didn't yeah. overuse him. He like did. they really overused Earl Campbell. That right. guy got burnt out, Earl Campbell. Well, Tony Dorsett, no. He, I think he was I don't think he was more than 190 pounds, Mark. Uh, maybe not even, 185, maybe. And he didn't like the fact yeah, that correct. he didn't like the fact that Landry had him on a uh, like you say, like a pitch count. But then years, you know, no, years you're right. later, years later, after he, he got older, he, he did, he changed his, he kind of changed his, his mind. And he said, you know, now looking back on it, he said, you know, Landry may have prolonged my career. Because he saw you're right. what. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And Franco Harris, the other guy, when he retired, he was, uh, I think, I think he was third or fourth on the all time list, and he was number one. Was he postseason? Until Emmett Smith broke I, his I record. I thought he went as. I thought he went as high as two, um, Mark. At one point, was he or at no? One point, because I yeah. remember Jim Brown started. That's right. Started chiming in about Franco Harris, yep. saying that he runs out of bounds. Yep, yeah. I would never do that. Like yep. there was a little friction there. Yep. Jim Brown didn't like it that he ran out of bounds, but the guy was, uh, he was number one postseason. He had the most yardage in postseason until Emmett Smith broke his record. So I don't yeah. know how you keep yeah. him off the list. Yeah, he was number two. There was, you know, he was very close to breaking Jim Brown's record. Who are the other runners on that list, Mark? Peyton, Jim Brown, Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders, Eric Dickerson, Gail Sayers, Steve Van Buren, Earl Campbell, Bronco Nagurski, and Marion Motley. I mean, there's a guy we didn't talk about at all too much, Steve Van Buren. Yep. I he mean, dominant. You know, he was a dominant player. During his era. It's hard to take any of those guys off of that list, Mark, other than <clears throat> if I had to remove a guy as much as he was he was like the Paul um, Zimmerman theory, as great as he was for those years. Probably if I had to remove anybody, it might be Earl Campbell. He was he was tremendous, though. It would be very difficult to remove him. I'm sorry. It wouldn't be. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he was very one-dimensional. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he was still... You couldn't stop him. But he burnt out. Couldn't stop like him. you said, he kept, they burnt him out quick, you know. He had about five good five good seasons and he, he burnt out. Well Lenny Moore is the other guy they had no, on the I, list. They had Lenny Moore on the list. Yeah. I mean I'd have to look up Van Buren. I, I, I never really looked into the guy. I mean I know he was uh, I think it was with Philadelphia, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yep, he's a he's a legend in Philadelphia. Him and uh, Chuck Bednarik, yes, uh, those those two guys. Um, and I, I think he coached, didn't he, Van Buren? 
Um, I'm not sure if he coached or not. I feel like he even coached the Packers at one point. Let me see. I don't remember him coaching. But yeah, um, I'll look. At, no, I'm, I might be thinking of Van Bracklin. Yeah, Van Bracklin coached. But Van oh yeah, Buren, that, exactly. In the late '40s, the Eagles. I think they won two championships in the late '40s, and uh, the offense was built around Steve Van Buren. They had a game where it yeah, snowed right. like a, a, a blizzard. Championship game, it was like a blizzard, and he gained uh, well over a hundred yards in that game. I think he was the only one that could stay on his feet. Everyone else was slipping all over the place. It was Van Buren, yes. You're right, yep. Arnie. It was Van Brocklin for the coaching. But Van Buren, six All-NFL seasons, 464 points, scored eight years with 523 yards receiving. And he rushed for almost 6,000 yards, which was a lot back then. Yep. He played halfback, quarterback, and running back, they claim. All three positions. Wow. I didn't know he played. He surpassed a thousand yards rushing twice. <clears throat> yeah, no, not too many guys were doing that back then. And in '45, he hit the triple crown. He led the league in rushing, scoring, and kickoff returns. Imagine that! Wow, unbelievable. Yeah, he was tremendous, tremendous player. <clears throat> Maybe the best running back of, of that era, of his era. Yes. Like, might have been the best you're, running back right. in his era. Yep. It's hard to it's hard to remove any of those guys off of that list there. But you're right, Mark. They cut it from nineteen to ten. Yeah. Imagine that. Yep. You can't argue with those ten, though. I don't think, Mark. And if you had to pick two, like you said, you would have picked. Peyton and Jim Brown. You know, the first time I even heard about Jim Brown, I was watching a movie with my father. I think it was The Dirty Dozen with with uh, uh, Lee Marvin and a bunch, you know, that army movie. Right, Dirty Dozen. Jim Brown was in it. Yeah, and that's he, right. He, at the end, he throws the hand he throws the hand grenades down the thing. And my father says it very nonchalantly, sitting in the chair, he goes, boy, he says, you want to see this guy run? He said, this guy was a, you know, played professional football. You should have seen this guy run, he says to me. That was a, my first, I was probably maybe eight years old, nine years old. It was my first recollection of hearing about Jim Brown, you know. But what year did he retire, Mark? His final season was 1965. Okay. Because, uh, uh, and it was because of the movie. When he he went into the movies, <laughs> and uh, he didn't right. he didn't show up at training camp because he was making a movie, and I think Paul Brown was still the uh, the coach at that time, and he said you got yeah imagine you, that he said uh, you're you're gonna get fined for every day that you don't show up at training camp you're gonna get fined, and so Jim Brown said well then I retire, I'm done. It was in it was in June of nineteen sixty seven that they were filming the movie, Mark. Yeah. Well it might have um, been a different probably it might not have been that movie, but I remember. It could have been a right. It could have been 
because he yep. was in he was in other movies prior to that. You're yep. right. Yep. Imagine that. I didn't, well, you know what? He was probably figuring, why get all banged up? I can yeah. make money making these movies. I'm meeting, I'm, I'm meeting all these uh, beautiful women and all this, all this other stuff. And he was running, you know, how many, how many championships did they win while he was there, Jim Brown? Do you know, Mark, off the top of your head? Only, I think only one. Did 19- they win any? 1964. Imagine that. Uh, 1957 was his rookie season. I think he. Yes. I think they play. I think there was a year there in the late 50s where they played the Lions. I think the Lions beat. Them. Really. And then in '64, uh, they played the Colts, and the Colts were heavily favored, and they beat the Colts 27 to zero. Uh, and then the following year, the Browns were the defending champions. They played the Packers, and the Packers beat them. But it was a close game, uh, 23-12. And that was Jim Brown's final game, that championship game against the Packers. So I think he played in three championship games, and they won one of them in 64. Imagine that. It's unbelievable. Because they, they had Paul Brown there. They Jim Brown was in a great quarterback. You know, there was a lot there used to be a lot of debate, Mark, over who was greater, the fifties, the Colts of the late fifties, or the Packers of the sixties. A lot of people used to talk about that. Well, it's hard to beat the Hard to beat those 1960s Packers teams. They had some yeah. tremendous teams. Well, I think we wrapped it up. Yeah, that's that's. I want to read you one more list before we go, Mark. It was a <clears throat> toughest offensive lineman since we talked about the offense this week. Uh huh. Selected by Bob Lilly, okay. toughest offensive lineman. Five, ten, ten of them he's got. And, of course, number one, we already talked about this, Jim Parker at the top of the list. Yep. And then you're not going to believe the next two. Number two is Gail Gillingham from the Packers. Uh Uh-huh. Imagine that. Yeah. So he must have gave Lily a hard time because he was a guard. Well, he was a guard. Yeah. Um, Yep. And then at number three, he's got Tom Mack. Uh Tom Mack was a very strong guy. Wasn't he in one of these strongmen competitions, Tom Mack? He was one of these real strong guys. Yeah, Tom I think Mack. he was just naturally strong. Yep. Yeah, there Tom was something Mack going was on good. there with him. He's got he's got Forrest Gregg at number four, who was a tackle. And at number five, Mark, going back to your Miami Dolphins team, he's got Bob Kuchenberg in there. Kuchenberg at five. Right. Okay. He's got Greg Larson at six, Mick Tinglehoff at number seven, the center for the for the Vikings. Right. You know, Mick Tinglehoff, look at his I think he played 20 years or something yeah, crazy. He might never missed time. a single game. Yeah. And I watched his Hall of Fame speech. It was extremely, extremely sad. Did you ever see it? He, I don't think he so, can't no. really he's not really I don't think he really knows what's going on. They they pull the they pull the thing off the off the bus, yeah. and he's standing behind it. Right. And he makes a face like, you know, and he doesn't even realize he's behind it. 
Well, Fran Tarkington brings him up to the microphone. Fran yeah. Tarkington presents him. Yeah. And as he's walking up to the microphone, you could hear Fran Tarkington say to him, do you want to you thank the fish? And he says, no, no, no. And, and Fran Tarkington composes himself, and he says, you know, uh, Mick is a man of uh, a few words, but a lot of action. Uh-huh. And he says it took him 37 years, and Fran Tarkington starts crying. Yeah. Go watch Mick Tingle off. Induction into the Hall of Fame. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I got Well, anyway, Lily's that. got him at number seven. Right. And then he's got Fuzzy Thurston, Gene Upshaw, and Jim Otto round up, Jim Otto to round up the list. Uh-huh. But think about it. He's got one, two, he's got three Packers in there, Mark. Yeah. Three out of ten are Packers. Yeah. I Imagine that. Believe, I can believe that. Um, yep. Kutcherberg. Kutcherberg was uh, very good. He's been on the Hall of Fame ballot a few times. When Lilly played against him in 72 in the Super Bowl. Yeah. That 71 year. That was Kuchenberg's rookie year. So Kuchenberg was a rookie going up against Lilly in that game. Imagine that. Yeah. Then they played them on uh, Thanksgiving. uh, Yes. 1973. Played uh, Miami on Thanksgiving. Yes, you're right. It was kind of a close game. 14-7, yeah. Yeah. Mark knows. 14-7. Yeah. Yeah, that was good, Mark. That was a a good list. That was good. A lot of same guys, you know, in a lot of these positions. You notice that? Like a lot of the same players. Yeah, consistent. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.